We're so blessed to be able to freely come together and read from Holy Scripture, God's Word to us. God breathed His Word to us, and this is a portion of it this morning for which we thank the Lord, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So make the gods do to me and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and arose, and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, And he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life 
to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated, please. We're continuing in our series on the Wonderful Counselor this morning. Uh, Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we'll begin a three-part series on fulfilled prophecies of His first coming. I encourage you to bring others with you as we study the ancient prophecies fulfilled in Christ's first coming. The greatest evidence for the supernatural nature of the Bible is fulfilled prophecy. And so we're going to be studying how God's Word came true in His first coming, and therefore that provides a basis for understanding the fulfillment of those prophecies of His second coming. So let's bow in prayer together. Father, as we come to this text of Scripture today, inspired by Your Holy Spirit, preserved for us down through the centuries. Help us to hear the still, small voice of God through Your Word today and by Your Spirit. And may we not be forgetful hearers, but doers of the work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving holiday. We did, enjoyed the grandchildren and all the feast items, uh, enjoying the good cooking, all that. Uh, But the fact is that for some, the holidays are a hard time. They're a difficult time. They're a time of realizing the empty places around the table. Some are struggling with illness, with loss, with family problems, many other issues. And so, while we rejoice in the holiday season, there are some that are particularly sad. And some who are exhausted by it all already. And it's still a month away as we think of all the decorating and purchasing and wrapping and preparing and traveling and all that, in addition to our regular uh, jobs and responsibilities. So I'd like to speak to you on the subject of exhaustion and how the wonderful counselor 
counseled one of his servants who was extremely exhausted. In fact, what I'd like to do today is pulpit counseling. It is very likely that someone here today is emotionally, physically, or spiritually exhausted, perhaps even depressed, possibly even suicidal. You may look fine, but you know what is going on inside you. Elijah was exhausted, depressed, and suicidal. He wanted to die. He prayed for God to take his life. He was at the bottom. How could a prophet of God be like that? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. What do we read in James 5.17? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What nature was that? It was human nature. And we all have our ups and downs, don't we? Some of the finest Christians who have ever lived have battled with horrible depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one who more than once was out of his pulpit for months at a time because he was battling with extreme depression. We don't know why some people struggle more than others, but even spiritually minded believers can be exhausted, depressed, and sometimes even suicidal. Elijah had just seen God perform a miraculous victory on Mount Carmel, defeating the prophets of Baal with fire that came down from heaven in answer to a simple prayer. Wow, what a moment. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God, the people shouted. And the victory had been won over Baal and his prophets and Jezebel and all that wicked influence that had come in through King Ahab into Israel. And Elijah must have thought, this is it. It's all good from here on in. He had seen God answer prayer After a a three-and-a-half-year drought, again, Elijah prayed, and it rained. And if you've ever been a farmer, you know what those kinds of answers to prayer can mean and how glorious that must have been. But great battles and great victories can also deplete our strength. In Luke 6.19, It says about Jesus that power, dunamis, went out of Him. Jesus said, I perceived that power went out of Me. Whenever we minister to others, God's power flows through our lives and out into others. But in order to continue to serve the Lord and to serve others, power has to go back into us before it's ready to go out of us again. In the Bible, some of the greatest failures came after the greatest victories. We think of Noah with his family building the ark, riding out the great worldwide flood, and then that whole awful, naked in his tent and drunk scene. Yeah. 
What was going on with that? David had defeated Goliath, fought the lion and the bear, fought the battles of the Lord, overcome all of the efforts of Saul to kill him. But in a moment of weakness, gets involved in adultery and murder to cover it up and sorrow that followed. Jonah preached the greatest revival in the history of the world in the most rotten place, Nineveh, and everybody in the place repented and turned to the Lord. But he ends the story depressed, bitter, angry, sad. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul writes, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 450 prophets of Baal? Easy. But now Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And he folds. He falls apart. One angry woman is too much for Elijah. (laughs) I won't go any further into that. (laughs) And in verse 4, he says, it's enough. There's a great statue in Africa of a great missionary And he's standing like this. And the story was that he, from where he stood, could see the smoke of a thousand villages where the name of Jesus had not been heard and he wanted to reach them. Another missionary came along and said, I've been a missionary for years. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I've had it up to here. (laughs) And sometimes in ministry you can feel that way. He says it's enough. Take my life. I'm not better than my father. I thought I was. I thought I was better. I thought I was better than everybody. I thought I was better than everybody in this whole land. Because I did what needed to be done for a long time. This Baal worship had come in and had taken over the country. And I alone, by myself, stood against it and saw this victory. But now I, I, I have to admit, I'm not better than my fathers. Sometimes we can think we're better than everybody else and then sometimes we can think we're worse than everybody else and we get on that emotional roller coaster. It's interesting, his prayer was, take my life. Take my life. Lord, I'm done. Just get me out of here. You know what's interesting is that God hasn't answered that prayer for Elijah yet. Elijah will die. You have to get to the end of the Bible for that. Uh, But he didn't die. He went up in the chariot. Yeah, interesting. He had his own personal rapture. You ever wonder why God takes so long to answer that prayer? As I visit elderly people in nursing homes, often they will tell me, I keep praying that I'll die, and I never do. One lady said, If I don't die soon, my friends are going to think I'm not coming. (laughs) Take my life. So what did he do? 
He ran away. He abandoned his servant, entered the desert, sat alone under a tree, and prayed for death. And his gracious Lord begins to minister to him in such tender and personal ways. Verse 7, the journey is too great for you. And so the wonderful counselor gave him a prescription that I think we could learn from in our times of exhaustion and depression and perhaps even thoughts of suicide. What was God's prescription? The angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ Himself, shows up to minister to Elijah. And the first thing that the Lord encourages him to do is to get some sleep. He lay down and slept. And he woke up and he ate some angel food cake and some water. And then he lay down again and slept some more. He wasn't done sleeping. God established the Sabbath and set the pattern for it in creation. God made the world in six days and on the seventh day He rested. And when He made His perfect law for the nation of Israel, He included in it one day in seven as a day of rest. It only became a day of worship much later in the story. Essentially, the Sabbath was meant to be a day off. A day of cessation. A day of rest. Jesus said even in fulfilling the Sabbath rest, as Hebrews tells us, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now we've got our years based on the sun, amen? We've got our months based on the moon, but the week is based on the Word of God. Communists tried down through the years back in the Soviet Union to work a 10-day work week. It didn't work well. Because God who made us as humans knew that one day in seven we needed a day of rest. I hope you have a day of rest. Maybe for you it's Sunday. That's why some of you are a little sleepy right now. Okay. You know, Say, well, it's my Sabbath, Pastor. Uh, but you need a day of rest. You need a day of rest. I know people, they work seven days a week. They'd work eight if they could, you know? And they just work, 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 work. We were not designed to operate that way. We were designed to have a day of rest. Uh, notice Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. what it promises to those who take that day of rest. Isaiah 58 and verse 13. He says, And if you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways and from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I had one preacher friend, he used to preach it and he practiced what he preached. He said, the devil never takes a vacation, so I never take a vacation. And he didn't. He didn't take a vacation. He didn't take a day off. He didn't take a week off. He didn't take a month off. 
I was brought up by a pastor who took every vacation day that the church gave him. Yeah, we did. We took a whole month up in New Hampshire every summer, and I lived for that. Because those were the times, the only times when I had my dad all to our own family, because we were always sharing him with everybody else. He was a pastor. No, he took a day off every Monday. He took a day off. He took a vacation. Satan is not our example, folks, okay? We're not to follow him. We're to follow our Lord and to follow his word. I hope you have built into your life a day of rest. And I hope that you have learned to get your sleep. You say, well, pastor, I'd sleep if I could, but I just can't sleep. Some people are plagued by PTSD. They can't sleep. Horrible memories, horrible dreams come to them and they have difficulty sleeping. Many of them have gotten into walking and running. And isn't it interesting, in this story, uh, Elijah didn't have any trouble sleeping. But look at chapter 18, verse 46. Just the verse before this chapter. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Elijah was a runner. That's why he could sleep so well. You say, well, I'm not a runner. Uh, You can be a walker. You know, Jesus walked. You go to the land of Israel, you'll find out that Jesus walked. It was his form of exercise. You'll read in the Gospels how he was in this town, then he was in that town, and then he was in the other town. How did he get there? He walked. And I encourage you, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, get some exercise. Simple things like walking. Often in counseling people, I find that many people are very uptight and anxious and depressed and everything else. They're getting no exercise, and as a result of that, they're not sleeping well. And what does he say? You get some rest. The first prescription of the wonderful counselor for his depressed servant Elijah was, you need some sleep. I want you to sleep. Get that rest. The second prescription was food. Look at verse 5. He was touched by an angel. Yeah. And the angel gave him that food. And it was a bread cake. That's the right kind of bread, you know, a bread cake. Imagine he wakes up to the smell of that baking bread. You ever wake up to that? How many of you ever had a bread machine? You remember those bread machines? I had a bread machine for a couple of years. And I got where I was making bread every night and it would bake during the night. And when you wake up in the morning, you could smell that bread baking. It smelled really great. Cut some of that up, put a little butter on it. Are you getting into this? Okay. And uh, But this was... Bread baked by an angel on the rocks and a jar of water. You know, good food will be an encouragement. Sometimes we have up and down because we're not eating right. I had an assistant pastor of mine. He was on a diet. And I said to him one day, I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel hungry. (laughs) You know, sometimes we're down just because we're not eating healthy. We're not eating right. Rest and good food. Did you know Jesus is a cook? Look at John 21, verse 9. I was in Israel one time and we were staying at a kibbutz, a commune on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I was out doing my Bible memory on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and I was walking along the beach that morning and I was thinking about how Jesus... The the resurrected Jesus prior to his ascension 
how he met his disciples with a cooked breakfast after they'd been out fishing at night. And it says here in John 21 and verse 9, So when they had got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it in bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question Him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. Now, I don't cook breakfast. My wife does. I do the dishes. But Jesus cooked breakfast for his disciples. What a beautiful scene. When Paul and his shipmates were tossed by a storm for two weeks on the Mediterranean, finally, what did he say? Acts 27.33, he said, God sent his angel who appeared to me in a dream last night. He said, we're all going to be spared. So what you need to do is to eat. Eat some food. And it says they ate food and they were strengthened. Sometimes we are under stress because we are not resting and we are not eating right. We need to take care of those basic human needs and God will provide them for us. He gives His beloved sleep. He gives us each day our daily bread. And then the heart of the matter. He gets up and in the strength of that bread, He travels for 40 days. That must have been real. I'd like to get some of that. Boy, if we could market that today, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Imagine that food. That was real angel food. And uh, he travels from Beersheba across the Negev, and he goes to Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai, where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, where God appeared to Moses and gave him the law on the top of Mount Sinai. And he ate and drank and he met and fellowship with God for 40 days on that mountain. And Elijah says, I need a fresh encounter with the God of Moses. And so he goes to Horeb, the mountain of God. He goes to a cave, perhaps the very cave where God and Moses met. And he gets there and the Lord asks him a question. One of the things we've noticed about the wonderful counselor is that he asked a lot of questions. If you're going to counsel the way God does, you're going to have to ask people questions. And here's a really great, great question to ask people when you're counseling them. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's interesting. He doesn't say, how are you feeling? That's what we often say to people. How are you feeling today? How we are feeling is not nearly as important as what we are doing. Amen? Because we've only got so much time on this earth. We only have so much time to serve God. And then our life's going to be over and we're going to be gone. But what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he's got his answer ready. In fact, he's got it memorized because he gives it twice. And what does he basically say? He says, you know why, what I'm doing here? I am the last of the Mohegans. 
I am the last one. They've come in and they've broken down your altars. They've built idolatrous altars and they brought in all this wickedness and everybody has followed Baal. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. I'm the only one. And then it says the wind blew so hard that it broke the rocks. There was an earthquake. I've never been in one, but they say it's really an experience to remember. And then the fire came. But although fire had come down on the mountain there at Mount Carmel, God was not in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. But then God speaks to him in the still, small voice and asks him the same question. What are you doing here? And he gives the same answer. We were studying in Sunday school a couple weeks ago in Luke 16. The rich man and Lazarus after death. And the rich man says, Abraham, can't you send somebody back to my brothers? And you remember what Abraham said? He said, they have the law and the prophets. They have the Word. The written Word. The written Word of God. The still small voice. And you might be saying, if God would come to me in the wind or the earthquake or the fire, if He would do something dramatic in my life, if He would do something like Elijah and the prophets of Baal with a fire coming down, uh, boy, my faith would be so encouraged and I would serve God and I would live for Him. He has given you a more sure word than that. Some people say, well, if I could just feel the electricity run all through my body, then I'd know that God was with me. I'd say, you can stick your finger in a light socket and you'll get that. You know. Francis Schaeffer said this. He said, he is there and he is not silent. He has spoken. Yes, there is a God. And he has spoken. And many people are saying, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. And he's like, you got a Bible. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Obey it. Believe it. Take the Word. God has spoken. It's a still small voice. It's that dusty Bible. Knock it around on the back window of your car. You know, It's, it's just there. It's in your house. It's in the closet. It's on the table. It's there. God is speaking in a still small voice. And if you will quiet down from all your activity and craziness and listen to Him, He will speak to you. He will guide you. He will lead you because this is the script of your life. This is the script. You say, I wish I could know the will of God. This is the will of God. His will is contained in His Word and He will speak to you in the still small voice. Some people say, well, I'd love to go to Israel because there I could really meet the Lord. And I say, if you haven't met Him in the, in the Word already, you won't meet Him in Israel. Okay? Israel will help you understand the Word better, but you will meet Him in the Word right here. That's where we meet with God. He has spoken. We need to listen. And that encounter with God. One of the things we need when we get confused, when we get discouraged, when we get downhearted, when we get exhausted, and perhaps even suicidal, we have to go back to His Word and say, Lord, what are You saying to me? 
And when we get a word from the Lord, then He will begin to lift us back up again. And then the fourth prescription by the wonderful Counselor. He says, Elijah, get back to work. Go. Return. Anoint Haziel, Jehu, and Elisha as prophet in your place. Yes, your life and ministry is coming towards the end, but you've still got work to do. How many of you retired? And we'll admit it. Okay, all right, several of you. Okay. I'm not sure whether I'm retired or not, but that's another whole issue. Uh, But I'll tell you what, and you may be retired from that job, and, and you may be just living off the government and you know and you don't have to work or whatever it is living off your savings and that may be a wonderful thing but you know what god has work for all of us to do till the day we die he's got work for all of us to do till the day we die it is not healthy to have nothing to do it is not healthy spiritually emotionally or physically god has work for us to do. You say, I don't know what He wants me to do. Hey, ask Him in prayer and then start reading His Word and then start looking around. Amen? Ask, seek, and knock. And look around. You say, but I'm so tired. I'm not well. I'm weak. There isn't much I can do. Hey, find somebody that's in worse shape than you. Find somebody that's in worse shape than you and minister to them. Uh, Grace Place was a lady in her 90s who played the piano. She was involved in ministry with her husband for many years. But I'll never forget, she'd get herself dressed up, and in her 90s, she'd go down to the nursing home and play the piano. She says, I have to take care of the old people, she said. (laughs) She did what she could. She did what she could as long as she could. He said, go, return, anoint Haziel, Jehu, and Elisha. And Elisha was especially important because God's work is more important than any one of us. God's work is intended to continue after us. And God's people know that. Why did Jesus ascend to heaven after only three years of earthly ministry? What a short ministry, you know? How we value uh, Ross... Louise Marion's ministry, 30 years here at one church. Jesus only had three years. Why did he ascend to heaven after three years? Why didn't he stay 30? He could have. He was still young. Why didn't he stay? I believe that the ministry of ascension is how Jesus released the disciples to begin doing what he had been telling them about and showing them. And as long as Jesus was around, it's like, well, who's going to preach this Sunday? How about if Jesus preaches, you know? Why don't we let him preach? If somebody needs to be led to Christ, Jesus, would you deal with this person? See? But when Jesus is gone, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. And you say, oh, if only Ross and Louise were here uh, ministering like they did. But you know what? Now's your time to step up and do the kinds of things that God did through them. God, in His ministry of ascension, uh, Jesus was constantly training the twelve for that day when He would depart. Paul was constantly training Timothy and 
Titus and all the others that are mentioned, not only so that his ministry would continue after he departed, but that his ministry would multiply. Praise God for the people whose lives have been touched by Ross and Louise Marion. Those who have been led to Christ. Those who have been trained. Those who are serving the Lord in other places even today because of their ministry. God calls us each to train others to do what we do. Whatever you're doing for the Lord. You're in children's work. You're in Awana. Whatever. Music ministry. Hey, encourage other people. And it doesn't have to be 100 people. Just find one or two others that you can involve them in your ministry and show them how you do it and give them opportunities. Hey, how many of you ever gave the keys to your car to one of your kids? Or at least loaned it to them? Yeah. I think that's one of the scariest things that parents ever do is turn those keys over to that young person. But you know there's an empowerment in that. We say, how are we going to see this church continue into generations to come? This church has come down through many generations. How it will continue to generations to come? By handing the keys of ministry to younger people who are young like we once were, who can begin to learn to do what we do for the Lord. That is the passing of the torch that God has called us to do and whatever when you're down find somebody with a bigger problem and god finally finally gets around to addressing elijah's complaint that i'm the only one what does god say to him essentially by the way elijah i still have seven thousand whose knees have never bowed to baal and whose mouths have never kissed him you're not the only one God has sleeper cells everywhere. He has his people everywhere. Tom Harris was in China. And God has his people in China. God has his people in India. God has his people all around this world. He has his people. We are not the only ones, but we are part of God's remnant by grace. What is the New Testament commentary on this particular passage look with me at romans 11 and verse 1 where the apostle paul refers to this very passage romans chapter 11 and verse 1 i say then god has not rejected his people has he may it never be for i too am an israelite a descendant of abraham of the tribe of benjamin god has not rejected his people whom he foreknew Or do you not know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice but if it is by grace it is no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace is no longer grace god always has a remnant how does he do that how does he see to it that there are always true believers on this earth one generation after another it's by grace amen that's how i got saved i got saved by grace 
And if you're saved today, you got saved by God's grace. You didn't get saved by your works. You didn't get saved by your baptism. You didn't get saved by your church membership. You got saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any person should boast. God always has a remnant, and it is always by His grace. His people are with us. He is with us. And then one final passage I want you to look at in regard to this issue. And that is in Acts chapter 16 and verse 27. Acts chapter 16 and verse 27 tells us about a man who was suicidal. We know him as the Philippian jailer. He had heard the witness of Paul and Silas singing the Gospel all through the night. And now, the earthquake has taken place and the doors are all open and he assumes that the prisoners have escaped and his life will be forfeit. He will die a horrible, torturous death because the prisoners have escaped. And he thinks, the only way out is for me to commit suicide, to kill myself. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he had brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. The devil wants to steal and kill and destroy. The devil wants to destroy your life. The devil wants you to kill yourself. He wants you to be depressed and down and exhausted and to be of no use. He wants to destroy you. Now, if you're saved, He cannot take away your salvation, but He can sure ruin your life if you let Him. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly here and now. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads with me in prayer. God knows your heart and you know your heart as you hear this word from God in His word today. And perhaps you'd say, Pastor, I know I'm saved and I am living that abundant life. I am experiencing God's love and peace and joy in my life. I have my ups and downs. Uh, but I'm walking with the Lord and experiencing His blessing in my life. Would you just lift your hand as a testimony to the Lord? Say, that's my situation today. I'm walking in fellowship with the Lord. I know Jesus as my Savior. I know I'm saved. You can put your hand back down. Thank you for so many responding that way. Perhaps there's some here today that would say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm not sure I'm saved. I have deep problems in my life. Perhaps no one else knows about it, but you do. And you really need the Lord today. 
then today is a day of salvation for you. And the way that you're going to be saved is by believing in Christ. And the way you do that is by calling on the Lord. I did this many years ago. It was around Christmas time. As a young boy, I prayed. I prayed something like this. I said, Dear God, I know I'm a guilty sinner and I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. Jesus, I receive you into my life by faith. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. If you, like that Philippian jailer, need to be saved today, would you receive Christ? Just pray in your own heart silently with me. Just say, dear God, I know I'm a guilty sinner. And I cannot save myself. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. Jesus, I receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. And Father, I pray for those who prayed with me today to receive Christ. And I thank you that you've said that if we come to you, you would not cast us out. You would receive us. And I thank you, Lord, for saving the souls of those who have trusted in Christ today. Give them the courage to tell somebody else to profess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, to tell others that they have received Christ, and now to grow in discipleship and following the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our deacon of the day, Curtis Holloman, is going to come and lead us in prayer. And after that, we'll sing together, God be with you till we meet again. It's number 602 in the hymnal if you need the words to that short chorus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. Let's pray together. Will you bow and pray with me? Father, your word teaches us that uh, when two or three are gathered in your name, that you will be among us. Father, we truly feel your presence here today. We thank you for your presence here today. It's through your presence that we are led and guided. Father, we're also thankful for sending Pastor Dan and Diane to minister to us. Uh, How grateful I am for that presence, and I'm sure you are. We just thank you for them and ask you to continue to bless them. Father, thank you for Tom Harris. He is the one that directed them to our path. We just thank him for that, and we thank him for the ministry of IPM. We We ask that you continue to bless that ministry, to lead and guide it, so that congregations like us will have someone to fill the gap between permanent pastors. Father, we're thankful for the search committee of this church that have been appointed to seek your will and to find a permanent pastor. We pray for them. We pray for them daily. 
We just ask that you will guide them, direct them, and lead them to the one that you have already picked for us. Father, we've already mentioned by name those in our bulletin that have prayer needs. We just ask that you continue to, to heal where healing is needed, to repair where repairs are needed, to guide where guidance is needed, and guide us to continue to pray daily for these, these needs. Father, the mission of the week is water missions, and we pray for that mission. A mission that <clears throat> seeks out people that have no way of having clean water without the services of, of, the, of the water mission. We thank you for those that, that started this mission, those that have worked tireless, tirelessly on this mission. We ask you continue to bless them that this mission will continue to give fresh water to those that need it. Father, now we ask that you go with us as we leave here, that you bring us back tonight for our business meeting. Although it's business, bring us back with a heart that's next to yours, that we might make godly decisions. Then go with us the rest of this week, leading God and direct us, and make us a light for you. In Christ's name, amen.